Russia's strategy seems to make less and less sense every time we look at the map. What exactly are they doing? What is their larger plan? And how can Ukraine counter it? I'm Paul, U.S. Army combat veteran. It is January 27th, 2023. This is your daily Ukraine update. Let's get into it. Okay, when we look at the control map, this is what I'm talking about. So the control map has some of the most updates. There's two areas where Russian forces have advanced. One is Klitschivka, and this is something we talked about yesterday. In fact, I it said yesterday that Russia would have to use this wooded area and this road here as really the only covered and concealed position from which they can advance, right, uh, towards Chasivyar and Ivansky. Uh, obviously, passing through this big open ground would turn their troops into... Uh, an absolute cannon fodder. And so that's exactly what they've done. They've tried to continue to advance up this road here uh, and use this terrain, the wooded areas here, as at least some cover uh, in order to push towards Chasavyar. Here's the problem, and we've still talked about this. Russia hasn't solved the fundamental issue of the fact that there's a sort of tripartite defense here. Chasavyar itself is a wooded and urban area uh and we're going to look at the more detailed uh combat map to show exactly what this entails you have ivansky another developed area and you have bachman all of which are really really tough and i know they they aspire to encircle um bachman but you can see here it's really going to be quite tough to create something that can effectively uh effectively encircle it right this this is going to involve stringing out their forces creating a huge vulnerable salient again it's not clear that ukrainian forces are are counterattacking. um probably just for the same reason russian forces have been ordered to conserve their ammunition i.e to prepare for an offensive in the spring um but i suspect that that they acknowledge that this is probably a hard line, this control of this roadway here, since it's essential to sustaining the defensive effort in Bakhmut at large. Um, they almost certainly have a plan B of this roadway here uh, feeding into Bakhmut. The, let's see if we can get some names. Uh, we'll, we'll, it'll, we'll do it on the other map. Um, but again, so the question is, ultimately, if Russia doesn't think if this russia sees the same map we do and it's not clear that this encirclement is going to work to to close bachman um then you ask yourself why why are they continuing to push i mean on one hand it's about exploiting uh the advantages that you have but again, these aren't the sort of lightning gains that we were expecting. They're, you know, a, a kilometer or so a day, not really that much territory and of minimal value. You can see Klitschivka. These are these are open fields and, and, and wood lines. Um, why is Russia making this advance? And here's where things get even weirder. The other place where they've made gains is out here near Bilohorivka. And you can see it's a comparatively minor gains. Um, looks like it's about, you know, uh, what, oh, 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 back it up. How do we end up out here? All right, there we go. It's like maybe, maybe, th you know, maybe 500 meters. But what's strange is, 
again, you're left with this question of why. Why is Russia pushing in this area? I understand they probably want to shore up this uh, vulnerable salient at this 90-degree uh, angle they've created here north of Solidar, but it looks more like what Russia's doing is just pushing broadly across the front lines. And here, we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at the combat map where we can, this becomes more apparent, right? So we've said, obviously, some level of advances here in Bilohorivka. Uh, you also, of course, have Russian forces advancing in Klachivka. You can see here this, and you may notice, you're like, wow, this looks considerably different than the front line in Klachivka. And uh, than, uh, sorry, on the other map. And the reason is because uh, I think this territory is just so low value that no one's fighting over it, right? There are no Ukrainian defensive positions here, would be my guess. Um, and I suspect that there's very little Russians are here as well. They're probably trying to spend the absolute minimum amount of time in these big open areas. And Ukrainian forces probably, I suspect, are fighting a gradual retreat, again, probably until they can preserve this H32 line where they can use wood lines, this urbanized area, and the areas of southwest Bakhmut, all to form a sort of coherent defensive line uh, that's going to preserve the ability to use H32 and still hold Russian troops at bay. Again, I, I really think that Ukrainian forces, while they have been reluctant to um, really, really dig in and uh, hold the defensive line lately, again, probably in preparation for an offensive, um, I think they're going to do it here simply because it's too lucrative, it's too juicy to force the Russians to um, to force the Russians to take Bakhmut block by block. It just, it, the punishing nature of it will just be too, uh, it'll be too easy for Ukraine to really, really make Russians pay a price um, for Bakhmut. So they, they probably don't want it to be encircled. It's also just so unbelievably hard for Russia to encircle uh, Bakhmut. You guys can, again, see on the map. Um, but, you can see here, they're still attacking in eastern Bakhmut. They're still attacking in Klachivka. They're still attacking across Nahorda, right? And we know that they've attacked in Bilohorivka, in addition to attacking near other Bilohorivka up here, uh, as well as still launching three attacks a day in the exact same places at the exact same schedule um, outside of Donetsk, and still launching these assaults in Volodar, which, by the way, I want to point out that... Um, Recent uh, viral footage has shown that Volodar has taken quite a beating. Um, I can't show it here uh, because YouTube's terms of service have cracked down pretty good on even things like destroyed buildings and stuff. Um, but if you want to check out that and all of this week's viral combat videos, um, I do that on the Patreon. I also put any video that YouTube that I think is YouTube compliant, I upload it and YouTube is like, hey, this this actually can't be monetized. I put all those on the Patreon as well. Um, so again, if you want me to break down those viral combat videos, you, you know the ones I'm talking about, like the bunker video. Um, I do all those on the Patreon. So check the link in the description. Um, but we'll take a look at that video and see exactly how how much of a beating the town of Volodar has taken. And it's just fascinating to me and a testament to the 
um, fractionalization of Russian forces, uh, that you can have all of these offensive efforts taking place with no real sign of strategic work at all. And it's interesting to me uh, that we see Russia doing it and we see Ukraine instead largely engaging in a defensive effort. Um, they're sort of counterattacking, but they are oh, I don't want to, they're they're stalling. They're trading space for time. And I think this is a function of the fact that Ukraine has realized that for them, uh, what's called economy of force is one of their most important assets, simply because Russia has seemingly unlimited numbers of men and a lot of material, but certainly not infinite. Um, and when Ukraine succeeds, it succeeds in events like this, like the Kharkiv Offensive, where they break Russian lines create total chaos in the backfield, move faster than Russia's antiquated command and control system can can adequately respond to, and then take huge amounts of territory being constrained only by uh, their own logistics and support system. So I think, you know, you also, of course, have events like Kherson, where the where it probably would have been a similar outcome, um, though before Ukrainian forces could really push, uh, step on the gas, so to speak. Uh, Russian forces realized just how dangerously ill-equipped their forces had become due to Ukrainian um, preparatory fires, namely interdicting Russian supplies crossing over the uh, Dnipro, that they withdrew themselves, which, of course, was probably a faster uh operation than the um <laughs> than the ukrainians and launching an actual offensive would have been so i think ukraine has understood that they are they they are going to thrive and have the best chance of really regaining significant territory um by launching these decisive lightning offensives and spending the remaining time conserving their forces and forcing the Russians to expend men and material in order to launch offensive operations. Um, so, but again, it's just, it, ultimately, it's just hard to tell. It, it, the answer is Russia isn't thinking. Russia is, Russia in this conflict is the Wagner Group. It's the uh, DNR, LNR. It's the Kadriovitsky Chechens, um, and it's the Russian Ministry of Defense, all fighting for separate conflicts uh, broadly at the same time. And it's actually really interesting. Institute for the Study of War talks about just how sort of insane the infighting has gotten. This is an altercation between Yvingi Prigozhin and Igor Gherkin. To be clear, Igor Gherkin is is a mill blogger like he's he he's like me or arthur ray and Yvingi Prigozhin is like there's not an analogy in the west but we could think of them as like a deputy minister of defense or like a like a uh like a chairman of the joint chiefs or like chief of staff of the army maybe in terms of authority i understand there's no analogy for something like the wagner group and people are going to go oh, it's like blackwater blackwater never fielded fifty thousand troops and that's what he's got in the field so when you have that many troops you're like a two or three star general um the idea that you have a like three star general basically beefing or a 
secretary of defense level position beefing with a blogger um and talking all of this smack on he misconstrued my criticism uh of him as an attack on Wagner and you know Gierkin criticized Prigozhin of committing Wagner forces, and Prigozhin says, I made a promise to several presidents that I'll defend them. And this is like, this is, this is, this makes Elon Musk on Twitter look, look like President Obama. Like, just, just, this is like an unbelievably stupid beef. Again, if you're, if you're a mill blogger, I get it, you know, no such thing as bad press, but like, but he goes and has a, you know, a war to fight my guy. Like you don't need to be beefing on Twitter with these yahoos. Uh, and like, Gierkin's like, oh my God, like Gierkin was like, yeah, I'd fight with one of your assault units if you sent me a serious invitation. But he goes and said that Wagner doesn't send out invitations. That's true. They come to your prison and explain to you what's happening to you. Uh, and stated Gierke would not be effective on the front lines because he's only interested in promoting himself for financial benefit. Yo, this is this is this is what they're doing instead of managing this war. This is why there's no overarching strategy. Instead of coordination and collaboration at the highest levels, you have infighting and bickering. And don't get me wrong. Every military has infighting and bickering, but this is at a scale, and the fact that it's out in public means that usually you rely on someone like Putin at the highest level of the Kremlin to take these individuals and force them to at least have their fights inside uh, you know, uh, the war room. Uh, but he can't do that, right? Putin's too sick or ill or ineffective or busy or some combination of the, of the three. Uh, to stop this sort of absolutely preposterous infighting. Anyway, guys, that's all I had for you for today. Um, do check out the Patreon. New video drops today. Um, all of this week's viral combat videos, and I will catch you guys in the next one.